and welcome to Sustain, the podcast where we talk about sustaining open source for the long haul. Who are we? Where did we come from? Where are we going? How can we decentralize all of the things? Very excited today about our guest. Before we introduce him, I want to make sure you know who else is on this podcast. So I'm Richard Littauer, your host today. Hello, everyone. We also have two other hosts. We have Eric Berry. Eric, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Richard? Doing good. Glad to see you and your baby Yoda shirt. I have a baby Yoda here somewhere. It's over there. Pia Mancini, how are you doing? I am good. How are you all? Good. Excellent. Okay, so those are the two other hosts. And now to the person you're actually on this podcast to listen to. We have Elif Therios joining us today, which is a long Greek name. So he's asked to be called Eli, as most people call him. He is one of the co-founders and one of the core contributors to Radical. That's not Radical C-A-L, but Radical R-A-D-I-C-L-E, which is very exciting. And we're going to talk all about what that means and how it goes after I ask him, Eli, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for coming on this podcast. I'm sorry it took so long to schedule, but it's great to have you here. Can you tell us just briefly, what is awesome about Radical? What does Radical do? So Radical is a decentralized stack for code collaboration. It enables developers to collaborate on code, govern code, and fund code in a decentralized way. Radical comes with a new infrastructure for code collaboration built around Git, and then also leverage Ethereum for things like a global namespace for decentralized code governance around software repos, and then also for funding features for open source maintainers. All right. So decentralization can mean a lot of different things. For instance, Git itself yeah. is naturally decentralized. So how is Radical different than, say, using GitHub and then paying people through Open Collective using Ethereum? So you said yourself that Git is actually centralized, but, you know, GitHub, which is the main network that most folks collaborate with, isn't. So if you think about uh, Git, uh, Git is a peer-to-peer protocol indeed. As a peer-to-peer protocol is a bit simple, let's say that way. And that's exactly why platforms like GitHub, GitLab, SourceForge, and call it, they've been developed over the years to actually complement some of the weaknesses of the Git protocol and extend it in interesting uh, creative ways. More specifically, you see things like risky trackers, you see things like PRs, and then of course you see the emergence of the canonical main branch, I guess, that came with platforms like GitHub. Now, if you compare this with the true essence of decentralization, today most of code collaborations actually organized around some of these platforms. And unfortunately, some of these platforms are actually, you know, controlled by corporations. And with that, basically, we introducing, basically, these corporations introducing a number of weaknesses or limitations on the code collaboration flow of developers. I think a lot of people immediately think about censorship, but that's just one of the problems. We actually talk a lot more about trust and security. So practically the world's code today lives on GitHub. Let's say that a GitHub employee is malicious, decides to inject something in a code repository. Then because most of this actually commits to go unsigned, we have no way of basically figuring that out. None of the consumers of that code will actually be able to figure that out. And someone immediately will say here, well, but you know, why would the GitHub employee want to do that? And the point is that, yes, indeed, it's actually quite unlikely that the GitHub employee might want to do that. But someone that potentially compromises GitHub's servers 
potentially actually have the ability to do that. And this is where things actually get a lot more problematic from a security standpoint. So within Radical, basically, you know, Radical is a Web3 native approach. And I know that sounds like a password, but what I'm trying to say here is basically within Radical, everything is cryptographically signed. So you actually have guarantees about what you're consuming as a developer, either that's for the code itself or for the social artifacts around code, where again, over the years, we have seen a number of attacks, basically, with regards to security. Many of them actually happen on the social artifacts. So censorship is, of course, one of the problems we see today. And we can talk about this, actually, maybe a bit later, because I feel that the world is stuck in this mode of like, oh, we need some moderation. So someone needs to moderate, and is this corporations or is this government? And in my opinion, there's a third solution, which is actually users themselves. But censorship is one topic that I feel that actually is interesting and we feel that will provide an uncensorable infrastructure for code. That's one thing. The second thing is basically uh, security. And because Radical is designed with security in mind, comes with a number of advances over the common GitHub or GitLab workflow that I mentioned before, specifically having basically tamper-proof evidence, like everything being cryptographically signed. That's the second thing. And then the third thing is basically what we call code governance. And this is where we start to diverge from the more general open source audience. This is where we're going a little bit more deeper within decentralized communities. And you see some of these patterns within crypto networks, but there's one problem of governance there, which is you have these decentralized communities on the internet that do not have, I always call this a CEO or an ultimate boss to control things. And they meet on the internet, they collaborate on the internet, and then they create things on the internet. And, you know, within crypto networks, many times they create things that actually are quite valuable or become quite valuable. So the topic of code governance actually becomes a lot more important. And the current status quo, I guess, is of Web 2.0 platforms is basically the Conceptually, I guess we would call this the admin model, where you have an ultimate boss, you know, a repo is part of an organization, and there is one admin or a few admins that all of them basically have overarching powers over those communities. One of the things that we actually do with Radical is actually leveraging Ethereum for code governance. And concretely, what you can do with this is you can have basically any multi-sig wallet or any smart contract basically controlling an open source repo. So actions like pushing to master or removing another maintainer from the organization and things like that potentially can go through some form of coordination that these maintainers actually can express in code. And we start seeing product market fit within crypto communities as you have all of these decentralized autonomous organizations that actually want to govern their assets, including their code base. So Radical basically allows them to do that without having to introduce any form of trust, either on the platform or on a particular user, developer, administrator within that community. So that's another of the cool things of Radical. And then the last thing, which we haven't yet released much there, but we actually are about to release something very exciting, is with regards to funding. I mentioned before that we're using Ethereum for our code, for decentralizing code governance, but we're also using Ethereum for creating new value flows for open source maintainers and actually introducing economic incentives in some software workflows, always, of course, with users in control. We do not force any of that. We do not force Ethereum to the users. We do not force value exchange to the users. They pick what they want to use with Radical. Radical is a stack of things, of a peer-to-peer -peer network around Git, of a number of Ethereum smart contracts, and of a few clients as well. 
This sounds really incredible. And I've known about Radical for quite some time now. In fact, I think I met you when we were out in Japan. You guys threw an amazing party. So my question is, when I think about the constant flow of commits and traffic going into my Git repositories, then I think, well, let's decentralize this and put on the blockchain. The first thing that comes to my mind is, oh my gosh, am I going to be paying for every single Git commit that I submit? So right out of the gate, I think that's a big, scary thing for somebody who might not fully understand what's going on. Can you help explain the financial commitment that somebody using Radical might be obligated to or maybe not obligated to? So as I mentioned before, there are three layers to the Radical stack. There's a peer-to-peer network organized around Git, where basically most code collaboration interactions happen, specifically zooming in on peer-to-peer because actually through peer-to-peer network, meaning thinking of it as, you know, IPFS, as torrents, as SSB, if you're familiar with that protocol. And that is not a blockchain. It's actually a true peer-to-peer network where uh, users actually, what they do is they download the client on their computer, they create their cryptographic keys basically locally, and then they just start to interact with other users and other projects on the network in a true peer-to-peer fashion. They don't have to pay anything in order to do that. Then basically all of the code artifacts actually live there. In fact, what we're trying to do is we're actually using, conceptually, you can think of it as we're using Git as a database, where basically instead of not only having your commits locally, but we use Git for what we call collaborative objects, which is things like using PRs. And all of this basically live off-chain, as they say, on the blockchain world. So you actually don't need to pay anything in order to actually start using Radical. So that's the first part. And that's why I mentioned before that actually within the open source communities, you know that crypto is a divisive topic and we understand that. And for that reason, we don't want to force anything to any user. There's this peer-to-peer network that you can actually use as standalone and you don't need to hit any blockchains. You know, if you don't want to be dealing with blockchains for your own reasons, either that's political or financial or any reasons you might not like blockchains, right? So there's that though. And that's the first layer. And you just basically start and collaborate there in a true peer-to-peer fashion. And there where Ethereum gets in the mix and where financial costs, which is your question, is specifically in three areas. The one is basically what we call a global namespace. So peer-to-peer networks suffer from basically being able to address another user in a simple human readable way. Why is that? Because there's no one global layer. It's not one global database. So not every user sees the same things, right? So you have subjective views over things. So you can be Eric Berry. I can also claim that I'm Eric Berry because like I'm a different device, so I can actually do whatever thing I want. So while this is okay, and this actually works quite well for smaller communities and for a lot of the hobbyist projects and communities we have within Radical, actually the majority of the projects are one or two maintainers, a few contributors, and that actually works quite okay. But for some of the bigger projects that uh, start to experiment with Radical, that is quite problematic. And they're looking for a simpler human-readable namespace. And within Ethereum, there's a project that's called ENS. I think it's called, it means the Ethereum name service. So what we have done is we basically, we have built a ENS-compatible registrar within Ethereum. And then if you basically want to have the ETH name, then you can actually go get that. Then you have to pay transaction fees to the miners. That right now can actually be very expensive. 
and I need to be uh, transparent about that. But that's one space where actually Ethereum gets in play and you have to pay to the miners to get your unique human readable name. That's one. The second thing is something that we call radical organizations. And radical organizations are basically, in their simplest form, are multisigs. And this is what we use by default for code governance. So you have a repo that basically lives in the peer-to-peer network. And then at some point you say, well, actually, we want to start an organization. This thing is growing. We are a number of maintainers that actually, you know, we want to be deciding on the state of things on that repo. Our solution to this is basically what we call radical organizations. It's the equivalent to GitHub orgs or GitLab orgs, but they non-hierarchical, they sovereign. You don't need to trust anyone. And if you want to have an admin, you can have an admin. If you want to have five admins and a multisig, you can have that. If you actually want to have your true token-based governance, as is quite common within some of these crypto networks, you can also do that. And then basically people vote with their tokens in that scenario to decide on what's the latest in that repo. So you can do that. And again, like Radical is very flexible about that. But in order to do that, again, you have to pay your transaction fees to the miners. And specifically for Radical Orcs, because you're deploying a a new smart contract for your organization, this is still expensive. And I'll talk about what we're looking to do. But that's the second place where you actually have to spend funds in order to use Radical Orcs. And then the last thing is basically what we call radical funding. And this is basically our contribution to the open source sustainability problem, where you as a maintainer, you can actually raise funds from your supporters, either as donations or in exchange for something within your community. And the way we have designed this, again, is basically you have to pay transaction fees while you create your campaign, if you wish, your funding, and then also when you collect funds. So you don't pay when basically people streaming funds to you, sending you funds, but you actually pay when you collect funds. But you do not pay funds to the platform, but you actually have, again, fees to the miners. That's, I think that's a, that's a better way to, to put this. Yeah, these are the places where you have to interact with Ethereum and as a result, you have to pay. So not for your most day-to-day activities you know, around commits, around issues or anything like that. But even that, we understand that is significant and is actually a big problem, especially if we want to make radical accessible anywhere in the world. We don't want this to be another white male thing where only people in the Western world can actually interact with it. So we're looking at layer two solutions on Ethereum, and there are a number of these solutions out there. We've been experimenting with a few of them, including Polygon is one, basically Optimism is another one, and then also some within the zero knowledge space. We've been actually experimenting with another solution called Starkware. And we hope that by the end of the year, some of these contracts will already be on layer two which means that significantly lower costs for some of these interactions. You are so good at talking with this and there's a lot of detail going here. It's just, it's amazing to watch. I know Eric is smiling a lot. I, I see where he's coming from with what's the business model. So it's the question he's asking. <laughs> I used to work at IPFS. So I, I want to know more about like the hardcore, what's going on with the P2P. And then Thea is probably curious about the funding and orgs models. But before we do all that, I know a lot of our yes. listeners, as you said, crypto is really divisive. And I want to make sure that we're able to like palliate them or at least make it easier and clearer what Radical is doing. So I have a couple of questions here. One of them is what's the current scope of Radical? And just not a huge description, just like how many people use it at the moment? How big is the team? So Radical is still in beta. It's not in a stable version. So Radical has been in development for the last three years. It's a project that basically requires a lot of attention, a lot of love, a lot of development. And we've been developing this for a while. And then today we have more than 30 people that are actually actively contributing to the Radical ecosystem. 
So it, it's a significant commitment from a number of people. And then in terms of traction, right now, our main focus is within the decentralized space. We really think that these are the communities that actually really value the same things we value, and they might find valuable some of our work, specifically because the properties of the radical system, they are relevant to them. So within the decentralized space, we actually launched a beta of the peer-to-peer network in November, at the end of November uh, 2020. And then until now, we had roughly 2,000 communities actually mirroring the repos, you know, experimenting awesome. uh, with Radical. And now basically the summer, we went a bit further with our Ethereum integration. And, and now we're also starting to have a number of communities that are actually using Radical orgs for their governance with some of the well-known crypto projects you probably have heard of like communes like The Graph, communes like SNX, communes like Gnosis, DXDAO is another one. There are a few there that are already experimenting, but our focus remains very much for now within the decentralized space. We really think that we want to satisfy that audience, that niche, someone would say, but we really think that niche is actually growing in the grand scheme of things. We thought that this is the niche that can eventually take us to Mainstream, you know, like dealing with the decentralized infrastructure. I know you all contributed to different decentralized projects in a way, but that it comes with compromising some convenience. And we are okay with that because we think that what we're building is relevant, but we understand that for a community that's actually already using GitHub or GitLab and they have organized the four workflows, Radical might not be the solution today. But some other communities where some of its properties are a lot more important on the priority list, we know that Radical is important today. So hopefully in the future, we will be able to serve also this more general level just communities. But for now, we remain quite focused in the decentralized Awesome. Okay. So that's a really good amount of context. Thank you so much for explaining that. It's super exciting as well. You have 2000 communities. That's awesome. And also DXDAO and Gnosis are huge projects. So that's really cool that they're using it. My question is now much more, not just about like decentralized land. I know that's where you're focused now. And decentralized land is the best. It's filled with cool people who do cool stuff. What is your pipe dream for long-term usage of Radical for the average contributor who doesn't want anything to do with P2P or crypto? How do you think you can change the coding space for just normal JavaScript coders or Ruby coders or people who are interested in just making open source better and working on stuff? Yeah, so there are a few areas where I hope that we can actually add value to the more generalist, I guess, JavaScript developer or Ruby developer. One is by actually providing infrastructure to them that doesn't really differentiate on where they're coming from or like, you know, where are they based and which countries they're visiting and what they do on their private life. That has been a problem, as I assume, for a lot of contributors to very generic and very legit open source projects that happen to come from places like Syria or Iran or basically places where politics basically do not allow them to use some of the platforms that we all use today. So that's definitely an area where we think that to contribute and bring a truly global solution that does not differentiate for the reasons that I mentioned. That's the one thing. The second thing that it's more of a dream or a hope, but... I really feel that what we're doing with Radical Works is introducing a non-hierarchical model for collaboration. And we realized that this is new to a lot of people. When we started Radical, you know, on the original team, in one of our gatherings, I asked them, like, who has worked on an organization that is non-hierarchical here? And there was no single hand raised, including myself. So <laughs> there you go. And one of the hopes we have with Radical is that basically we bring coordination up the front 
Eric, I know that your team and Kevin, have, you have been talking a lot about coordination at Gitcoin. So yeah, this is one of our hopes for developers. We really hope that we're going to see a lot of these developers actually realizing that we can also coordinate in a non-hierarchical way. And sometimes this is actually a lot more beautiful and it's actually doable and it comes with its own benefits. So we want to bring that solution to the world. We call this DevDAOs, but we want to be the network where the next 1,000 or 1 million developer DAOs will be created. And probably there will be a bunch of strangers on the internet. And we hope that they will actually collaborate on their code, govern their code, and eventually fund their code also partly or fully in Radical. So that's the other thing, and this is more of a dream, less of a like, hey, today, like pragmatically, they will not tell you that like, oh, I wish I would coordinate. Theoretical way, people don't think that way. And then the last thing is basically because we took that really wild bet, like creating Radical was something that was scary in many ways, simply because imagine like at the end of 2017, thinking that like two people in Berlin, we want to go and take GitHub, like one of the most beloved platforms in the world. So it was super scary in a way, but you know, like the good thing that that gives us and what that creates is that now that basically the code collaboration infrastructure is actually starting to mature and we start having our first early adopters, that creates opportunities in terms of what we could do with regards to funding main teams. Basically today, these two worlds are kind of separate. There are platforms that take care of funding, and then there are the places where you collaborate. And with Radical, actually, we, we realized that there are a number of different opportunities where you can actually create new and engaging experiences for your supporters in exchange for funding for your open source project. And we're working on a number of those. We hope that some of the solutions will actually help maintainers, the average JavaScript and average Ruby maintainer, actually raise a few more funds than what they've been doing today for their work. And yeah, keep basically contributing to open source, doing what they love without having to join another corporation where they have to many times just compromise a lot of things. One of the kind of big challenges of open source has to do with the fact that creators or producers, it's really hard for them to capture the value of what they're creating because the artifact of their creation is something that is released in the open. And if you can't limit access, it's very difficult to kind of capture value from it. And everyone else is like kind of using and capturing that value. So I remember like way back when Radical was of OS coin, we had a conversation about this and I know we talked about how we could find a path for open source creators to kind of capture more value out of their creations through a coin or a token. So how is that looking for you now? Is that still built in Radical? I know you have the RAD token. Is that how you're thinking about yeah. it? And also like in the mix of all of that, like how are you thinking about one of the challenges of paying or getting paying for value creation in open source is how you measure that value, right? So it's easier to measure yeah. value when you're talking about code comments. It's a lot harder when you to measure value when it's like non-code contributions, for example, or like softer kind of contributions. So are you thinking about that? Totally. So that's a great question. I think it's important to say here that when we started this project, Pia was one of the first person that actually reached out and she was in Berlin for a conference and we ended up meeting and then we ended up nerding out a bit about the work that they're doing on, on Open Collective and what we wanted to build back then. So I feel that Pia, like you, you mentioned two problems that are actually very important. The one is if you're thinking about that as a funnel in a way, there are no funds coming in, right? Like how do you convince the supporters to actually spend more and give more to open source? That's the one thing. 
I thought that you mentioned. And then the second thing is after you have money in, how do you basically find ways to distribute that equitable way to open source maintainers and contributors? So the first problem, I really don't think that there's a magical solution out there. And I feel that the most important thing is that we see and we continue to basically experiment and bring new experiments to life. I think that the work that you all have been doing with Open Collective, I think has been very inspirational. And I feel that has been like culturally very important for open source. I feel that platforms like Patreon and GitHub sponsors, they have also contributed their fair share. Although many times I find them uninspiring in a way, given that especially, you know, with regards to GitHub or GitLab, they control the infrastructure. They can actually go a lot further than where they go. And it bothers me sometimes that they actually do not decide to do that, but it goes down to incentive. There's no big incentive for them to do that today. So there are these experiments and of course there's Gitcoin and the work that Eric and, and the rest of the team have been doing there has also been, you know, a very significant, I feel, new experiment for funding open trust. So what we're trying to do to increase that top of the funnel is actually we try to actually go deeper in some of these different interactions. I'll give you a practical example of some of these ideas that we're working on. This technology, this product that we're shipping in the next few weeks that we call Radical Funding basically allows you as a developer to almost develop an economy around your code base. What does that mean? You have the ability to actually receive funds. We're only using cryptocurrencies. Again, I know that this is not the cup of tea for everyone, but you know this is our own decision for a number of reasons. So you will be able to actually receive cryptocurrencies in the form of stablecoins in exchange for what we call a community token or a membership. So imagine that, like, let's say we have the PIA project and then I'm a fan, then I will send you a fixed amount. I will send you an amount of, of stablecoins, think about them as, you know, USDC, DAI, et cetera. And then in exchange, I will be able to have the PIA community token. That's a non-fungible token. That's not a fungible token thinking like Gitcoin, Radical or, or whatever. And then you will be able to actually decide how do you want to engage your supporters with regards to this token. The minimum form of that looks like simply a badge that actually, you know, it's application agnostic, meaning that you can take it with you within different environments, wallets, applications. But also you can, in a more advanced version, you can start things with that. We see already some of these non-fungible tokens and open source communities that basically say that like, my code is free and everything we do is open, but if you want to bug me and basically, if you want me to do some work through issues, you actually need to prove that you're a supporter. This is something that in Radical, we're actually designing this in a native way through these community tokens, where imagine that with that PIA token, you have a functionality that says that like, now you can only open an issue with that. Or you can imagine other forms where basically, you know, this issue tracker is actually completely open, but the prioritization of issues happens from, the, from your support. Or you can think of other things like, imagine like developers today collaborate around the GitHub projects, like they call it, which is a community's roadmap. Imagine, again, giving your supporters the ability to prioritize your roadmap or potentially, you know, giving them access to your discourse or to your Discord or to like Telegram, like different communities actually experimenting with different things. So what we do with radical funding is basically really is tapping into that. And we try to basically, this is what I meant before, by trying to bring this code collaboration infrastructure and that's created around it a little bit closer. Uh, so these are some of the experiences. Conceptually, we have three buckets of experiences just to give you the high level as well. So the one is just access for things like what we said, think about things like access to a premium only issue tracker or think about access to basically a Discord server, like Discourse, whatever your community is using. 
So that's the one thing. The second thing is basically what we call influence. And one of the cool things that we are enabling by default, if you want to use this within Radical, is we're giving your supporters the ability to actually vote on things. What I mean by vote on things, we're giving them kind of like a polling feature in crypto. There's a project that we use that's called Snapshot, where basically people can vote off-chain, don't need to pay anything to any miner, but they can actually vote. And how you use that polling system is up to you as a supporter. You can say, hey, can you please prioritize feature A versus feature B or issue C versus issue D. So in that we call influence. And within that, we have some of the ideas around potentially prioritizing issues, prioritizing roadmap, voting on new things to be built. And then the last idea is also we're playing with models where potentially maintainers can give also financial incentive to some of their supporters. This is the least fleshed out and we want to see what kind of experiments will happen. But because again, crypto is, it's a bunch of smart contracts on the internet, they're composable, the application agnostic. We want to see what people will do with it. But we're imagining flows where Maintainers say like, hey, if you manage to break, to make me sustainable, I set sustainability goal, let's say a thousand die a month or a thousand years to see a month. If you make me sustainable, then above that threshold, I might be sharing some of that revenue that's coming to me with you, right? And this now starts to look a bit more like an organization, a startup, however you want to think about this. But that's really how we're thinking about really growing the top of the funnel, as someone would say, and bringing more money to open source by actually going a little bit different on what kind of experience you can enable, like what kind of engagement you can create with your supporters. And in terms of the second part of your question, and I know I'm giving a long answer, but I think it's, it's important and I'm actually very passionate about the specific topic. So in terms of basically distributing the value within an organization, back in the day, and yeah, when we first met, we had this idea of basically developing a dependency-based scheme where we had basically, we've done a lot of research specifically around an idea where every time that basically like if more people depend on you, then you actually get paid and you actually don't get paid by a supporter, but you get paid in the network's native currency. Imagine an Ethereum-like system where instead of like all the mining fees go to miners and the block rewards go to miners, a portion of that goes to the dependencies of the network of what the Ethereum network uses. Practically, after a lot of time in research and development on that, we realized that this is really hard to bring live and it comes with a lot of nuances and all of that. But what we kept from that's now going live with our radical funding feature is something that we call DRIPS. And DRIPS is a concept where basically when you create your campaign, you say that like every time that basically someone pays me, I will specify an amount, a percentage that will be automatically going to this other address. And what we want to do there is things like automatically basically making it super simple for you to pay your dependents if you want to, of course, or pay your contributors. We're designing it again as very generic and open, but you will have different templates and if you don't want to use it, you don't need to use them, but we want to put this on the flow. And the reason why I want to do this is because we think that we need to create new cultural norms. We want to make this a norm that every time that you get paid, more developers get paid, right? And, and try to create this more cyclical, regenerative, someone would say, open source economy. So that's the only thing we kept from that original idea, because simply you try to like have one currency that you try to denominate within tens of thousands of open source repos is very complex. But now what we're doing is we basically say, hey, you know, what if every time you get paid, actually you decide who are the people that you really value and made this possible and then automatically getting paid without anyone needing to do anything. That's great. I have a gazillion follow-up questions, but 
<laughs> we don't have a lot of time. So, but I follow up on that. It's fascinating. Just a quick side note. The, I'm also part of the UBI community that just proof of yes. humanity and they have like a dripping system. So it's a really interesting one. So it drips per hour that you are in the world, right? It's like a UBI. Interesting. Yeah. So anyway, we should cut this, but like, we would love to talk about uh, potentially doing something with Open Collective. Yeah. And yeah, let's actually connect after this. So that's really great that you do want to connect. And it's actually really interesting hearing LA, you are so passionate about this and articulate. And it's just wonderful hearing how Radical is doing. There may be other listeners who are interested in getting involved. How can they best do so? Who do they get in touch with? How do we offer? Yes. First place to go to learn more about Radical is radical.xyz. This is the place where you can go download the client, one of the clients and start interacting with the product. So that's the first place. And then after that, basically there's a lot of activity under radical.community. If you go there, this is our forum and pretty active community around the project. And then the last place for more synchronous communication, we use both the matrix and discord. Uh, and we're bridging between the two. If Discord is not your cup of tea because of closed source, you can actually join our matrix servers. And then, you know, there's interoperability between them. And again, there's a very active community there. I think it's more than 2,000 developers that discusses and builds things. Finally, there's currently an active conversation within the community, specifically around what we call radical grants. So there's also that, which is if anything that I said sounds interesting and you actually want to go come and contribute, there are a lot of opportunities where you can do this and get paid. Like if, if this is something that, that you're after. Awesome. Love that. Where could people follow you online? So I'm on twitter.com slash Eleftherios, but it's spelled L-F-T-H-E-R-I-O-S. Okay. So that's where I'm at. Yep. And then beyond that, I guess in, in radical community, I think that's where I spend most of my time these days. So yeah, I think these are the two places I would say. Okay. So thank you so much for coming on. Yes. Do check that out. We also will have all these links in the show notes as well. And you can follow LA directly from the Sustained Podcast website where it, Twitter will be linked. LA, it's been really exciting having you on. Don't go yet though. At the end of every podcast, we have a section called Spotlight. Spotlight is where we talk about projects which we think need more love, people who have really helped us out, or that fun doodad that made your kids not focus on you while you had an important video call or something similar. Very important part of the show where we just give back a bit after talking about today, Radical, which is truly awesome. So Spotlight. Eric Berry, what is your Spotlight today? I'm going to take a little bit of time and talk about three things. First, LA, I appreciate your accolades that you gave me for Gitcoin. They are not founded, though. I'm no longer with Gitcoin. I was one of the founders, but I left about a year ago. Kevin is a genius. And the fact that they are continuing to change the world just blows my mind. I was very lucky to have spent some time side by side with him and working along the same efforts, but their success is definitely not due to me. So I just wanted to make that clear. The second thing I want to do is I want to spotlight this little toy that I got, which is the brand new iPad mini six, which I'm giddy over and I'm a super geek. And I have the 12 inch iPad, the now nine inch iPad and the iPhone. So yes, Apple, you own me. And I think the final thing I'd like to say and point out is the immense value that Richard Litauer provides to the community. 
I don't think it's said nearly enough, but for those listening to the podcast, this is all done because of Richard. He is the person that organizes everything. He's the one that drives the show. If you can't tell by now, he's fascinating to listen to. So I just want to give some love to Richard. Also, if you do want to see some odd stuff, definitely check out his videos on drunken website reviews or eggs and bacon or eggs and something. What is It's Francis Bacon and Eggs. Francis Bacon and Eggs. (laughs) So good. We'll link that in the show notes. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you, Eric. It's unnecessary, but appreciated. What is your spotlight today? I'm just going to say the one thing that has been very handy for me in the mornings when I drive my daughter to school is the Lex Friedman podcast. I don't know if you all know Lex Friedman, but his podcast is amazing. Deep, really long, deep dive interviews with, I don't know, you can find there folks talking about tech, about politics, about war, about drugs, about love, about physics. It's just amazing. So it's like my geek moment of the day, Lex Friedman podcast. All right. Thank you so much. My spotlight today is a name which I don't think anyone knows here, but possibly LA. Nasser Hayat. Nasser is growth at Radical. He is a colleague of mine. We work together at Boson Protocol. And he's just a really awesome, friendly guy. And I, every time I think of him, I'm just really grateful that I know him. And I love talking to him about fun stuff. We have like a standing wine date once a month where we literally just hang out and have a glass of wine and talk about crypto. And I don't even like crypto. And he knows that. That's why we talk about it. It's a lot of fun. So just Nasser is awesome. He's a growth at Radical. And you can find him on Twitter at Nasser. Hyatt, H-A-Y-A-T. Highly suggest checking him out. LA, what is your spotlight? So the one group of people that actually I want to call out is basically the core developers of a number of different ecosystems like the Secure Scalable ecosystem, the DAT ecosystem, and the team that's actually doing work on IPFS. Today, I came here and talked about Radical. We wouldn't be able to do what we did today without all the experimentation that these different communities had on peer-to-peer systems. And right now, blockchain is all the rage for a lot of people, but you know, these are systems that actually are fascinating uh, in their own way and informed our peer-to-peer solution with Radical. So that's the one group. The second group that I want to call out is actually the people in Radical, the core contributors that are actually are not developers, but actually do so much work. And many times when you think about Radical, you think about the devs, of course. And specifically, I want to call out Abby, is her name, uh, Nassar that you just called out, Selby, and a number of other folks that actually do a lot of work around governance facilitation in Radical. Governance is complex and it doesn't just happen. So these are the two groups that uh, I want to send my love to and thank them for all the work that they've been doing. Love it. Thank you so much. I just feel obliged to mention we've had some people from IPFS and from Scuttlebutt on the show. We've had Michael Rogers on before. Go check him out. We've had Dominic Tarr on the show before. Check him out. We've had three episodes with Kevin Owaki. Check him out. So we'll have all those in the show notes. If anyone's interested in talking about this stuff, come join us on the Sustain Discourse forums, discourse.sustainhosts.org, or just drop us a line. Recommend us future guests to talk to. I bet they will not be as interesting and as I can't use the word titillating because it sounds really weird but just like I'm inspired to go learn more about cool stuff by LA so thank you so much great to have you on here best of luck with Radical thank you for having me thank you so much 